welcome to our second episode. Uh, big name change. I was about to say the old name, but as a product of whether the Lord's will or our success or maybe our failures, uh, it looks like we're changing the name and it's now only the Penitent Shall Pass podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. Trying to reach out beyond denominational borders because from the beginning, that was John's heart and my heart, is that we, we believe in the greater communion of the saints And so we don't want to limit our discussion to only one particular vein of Christianity, but we believe all who believe in the historic creeds, the the Nicene Creed, the Apostles Creed, you know, that that are that have put their faith in Jesus Christ, uh, are are a part of that greater communion of saints. So so welcome. Sorry for the the mouthful introduction, but welcome to the second episode of Only the Penitent Shall Pass podcast. John is sitting to my right here in our temporary studio. And uh, today's guest is Father Sean LeDuc. He is uh, the vicar of the Church of Advent in Rochester, Michigan. Uh, he has a bachelor's in philosophy from Cornerstone University and MDiv from Bexley Hall Seminary. Uh, he's a bivocational priest. He actually says he's possibly a tri-vocational priest. A carpenter, reminds me of someone in the Bible, a beekeeper, <laughs> And he's and uh, he's also uh, married as well. Uh, as well as he's a, a, a full-time clergyman in, in his parish. So, Sean, uh, Father Sean, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, um, we are uh, in the midst of the Corona situation of America again. Uh, we're we're. While every episode of our podcast is not not going to be dedicated to talking to Corona, I think for a lot of brothers and sisters, perhaps John, you can relate. I mean, on one well, hand, I think, we can't help. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I think we're going to have to do. We may have to do a lot of episodes on this topic if this continues in the the way it has been going. So you know, we'll have we'll have to see. But we we are going to do episodes on other topics. So. Yeah. So, so for those who, who uh, want Corona, you're going to get it initially, hopefully Lord willing, <laughs> we can move beyond and, and discuss liturgy and worship and uh, the, the historic church, which is, you know, and that's what I've spent most of the last 20 years studying. You know, I've been my personal goal of trying to annotate all, all, all the Nicene fathers and anti-Nicene fathers. And um, so our, our passion is for church history and, and theology, but we can't help but address the issue of our day because Correct me if I'm wrong, but this has it ever happened in the history of the earth that every continent, maybe Antarctica doesn't count, but every continent, every country with the exception of a couple territories, territories has more or less shut down. I mean, John, this is unfathomable. Oh, definitely. Well, I think I think once more people realize how significant everything that has happened to not just the world, but the church in the church's place in this whole crisis than those broader themes that you'd like to discuss about church history and the historic creeds, they're going to fit in well with what we're discussing today, because we're going to see that the church every so many years has to reconsider who they are, what they're doing, and we have to act accordingly. And it seems whenever crisis strikes the church, good comes out of it. Right. So if there's any bad in the church, God means it for, if there's, is there anything bad going on in the church? God means it for good. Right. Um, and I think that's been the rule since the dawn of time. And so 
uh, yeah, I think that's why it's important. This is sort of our starting place. And then we can branch out into all these different topics. So, so the title of today's episode is The Role of the Church in a Crisis. And so we're gonna, I want to move it over to Father Sean. Um, you might have a lot more to answer beyond my simple question I'm about to ask. So take this in whatever direction you want. But what, what is your perspective on the role of the church during a crisis such as we're facing right now? Well, I don't want to get too far off topic, um, but I think when we're talking about church history um, and, and the great tradition, which is what you guys really want to connect with at some point, uh, I think what we need to do is look at the past and um, see how the church has done it. Because uh, like you said, the church has faced crises before and has come out and, and come out stronger. Uh, and so looking back, um, what, what struck me as I've grappled with this crisis is what the church has done. And that's the thing that sticks out first. Um, and I was thinking about um, a friend of mine sent me a message about St. Cuthbert in the 7th century who was a bishop, um, and there was a plague. And what did he do? He went out doing what he normally did, um, preaching, catechizing, teaching his people face-to-face -face in person um, as a bishop. And uh, the plague wasn't something that stopped him. It wasn't something that closed down any parishes. He continued doing what he did. And I think... The role of the church is to continue doing what she does. Um, so things don't change. We preach the good news. We administer the sacraments. Uh, and we pray for one another. And we certainly pray for our leaders. Our leaders in the church who are struggling um, with what to do. And for our civil leaders who, are, who make these big decisions that affect all of us. That's... So that goes right in line with the verse that the Lord, that I, I in my just daily studies, I came across it last week, and I had been thinking about it last month, and it's uh, from James uh, chapter 5. And prior to this crisis, uh, what struck me is I, I visited Baptist churches, Lutheran churches, Episcopal and Anglican, of course, Roman Catholic, non-denominational, Pentecostal, you fill in the blank, I have visited more than 250 churches in my life. And that's not an exaggeration. That's, that's an undercount. It's actually much more than that. And I've never met uh, a Christian or denomination that, that didn't, that disagreed with this application. So while Christians disagree with the literal interpretation of Genesis or church government, they all agreed with James when James writes, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And John, if, if I understand right, when owning with oil, you, you got to touch the person with the oil, right? Yes, that's, that's always been my understanding of it. Um, and for more traditional Christians, Catholics, it's very important to help the person pass over to the Lord, right? To give them the grace they need, right? So certain, a lot of Protestants listening, maybe you, you wouldn't, uh, wouldn't have the same understanding of a sacrament as that. But for a lot of Catholics that are denied that sac sacrament right now, they've been taught their whole lives that it's very important. 
Um, and I think there's a lot of people in the Anglican tradition that hold that interpretation. Um, I don't know, Father, Father Sean, do you have any comments on that? I think traditionally what's very significant, and you don't see this um, as often, but in some Anglo-Catholic circles and old school Catholic, Roman Catholic circles, uh, when people were about to pass over, uh, the priest came and, and the priest touched the body, anointing the hands and the feet and the mouth and the ears and the nose. So there was a lot of physical contact. Um, I heard a story a friend, a friend of mine whose uh, wife's grandmother was needed last rites. And all she could get was a nurse touching her, I guess, anointing her with oil and uh, the priest praying some prayers through the glass. And it was wow. even difficult to get a priest to do that. And that, that disconnect from the tradition and that, that even that disconnect from being human uh, is just very, very striking. Because like you said, I mean, the anointing, the touch is just universal. Well, yeah. uh, maybe, not, maybe not even just universal to the Christian faith, but it's universal to humanity. And that's, what, that's what's so strange. Yeah, ahead, you gave a, a homily on this recently where even if we just look at these things from the aspect of being human, this is very bizarre. Like all humans have always practiced certain rituals that involve touching um, so that the whole earth would go under this um, sort of condemnation of touching another person. It seems very strange and it seems significant in a way that I don't think any of us have, you know, come to terms with yet. And, and let me clarify. Um, I don't think any of the three of us believe that, in the anointing with oil or the laying out of hands that none of us are claiming some radical word of faith concept that the person is always going to be healed. We, we all believe in the sovereignty of God, you know, God determines who's healed, but, but in the laying out of hands, we could probably use different symbols to express it the way I understand it. John, you gave me a great analogy earlier in the week. It was a way of, of what did you say? Of, of reminding them of the resurrection. Yeah, I think so. I think that's, um, well, I think that's present in most of the sacraments, right? Where this, these physical aspects remind us that when we die, not only is that not the end, right? So we don't want to imagine that for all eternity we're disembodied, but the resurrection is going to happen. It's a real event that's going to take place. Um, and it seems like this is very absent from a lot of, I, I don't know, I guess I would say the attitudes of the church right now, Right we're going to rise from the dead and we all need to start thinking about that. And that needs to inform how we're acting in the here and now. Absolutely. The, I, I think, as we said last week, we, we don't want anyone to go against their conscience. I mean, I, I Paul talks about this, you know, I, it's, I'm not telling anyone, Hey, this is what the literal Bible verse says. And if you don't do it, you know, damn you. That's not what we're saying. You know, you definitely need to follow your conscience, expose it before Christ in prayer. Um, the significance of what Father Sean was talking about with reference to the the plague and this, I think you said it was the bishop who's going out and he's just living his normal life. For the three of us, I guess, we're sitting here and we're a little, maybe for, at least for me, I'll speak for myself. 
I'm a little confused because this was a universal understanding during a crisis. This, we should do exactly what Father Sean said, keep living your life. I, I remember a sermon by Dr. Sproul, the Presbyterian, uh, right after 9-11 and people were asking him, where is God in the midst of this? And he said, <laughs> I'm getting chills as I remember it. He said, God is where he always was. You know, in his Pittsburgh, in his Pittsburgh accent, God is where he always was. He's in the heavens and he's sovereign and he's in control. And don't you question it. <laughs> so, so, I mean, so it doesn't matter the crisis. We, we, we should live our lives as Father Sean said. Let me, let me move on to the next question. Um, so we don't dwell too much on, on the negative. Um, what, what is the church doing well during this time of crisis? And I'll, I'll be open and honest. This is why one of the motivations I, I wanted Father Sean on. I, I mean, I think what they're doing in Rochester is really awesome. I don't, I don't know if you want to expand on that or cloak it a little bit in mystery, but or oh, you know, I don't. I actually don't mind talking about it uh, because I think these are the stories that we need to hear right now. Uh, it's sort of, sort of an alternative, and I think what I really appreciate about appreciate, excuse me, about your question is that we don't want to focus on the negative or we're going to get bogged down. Um, I, I think there's a lot of good going on uh, right now that we're just not hearing about, you know? And so what we've done, um, I have a small church plant or we have a small church plant and uh, we rent space. And um, once uh, the quarantine got going, um, the church shut down and they, uh, you know, very kindly said that we couldn't meet there for the time being. And so um, I kind of had seen it coming and I had told my parish, we'll, we'll just keep going. And that's what we've done. Um, and I'm very aware uh, that some people um, don't want to continue meeting or they're, they're concerned or they may have, um, they may be in the, the um, category of having, you know, being predisposed to getting, um, getting sick and they should stay home, you know, I, and we don't want to go against anybody's conscience, like you said, Kenneth. Um, but for those who are still desirous to meet, um, I think having an option where we still met was vital at this time, because I do believe that the church keeps doing what she does. And so we just, we went underground um, the Lord has blessed my wife and I with a large house. Uh, you know, at first I would have never even dreamed that it would be useful for anything. I thought it was too big. Um, but we're able to meet in a space that we've been able to sort of separate from the house, have an alternate entry point. We've been very careful, um, trying to follow the guidelines that have been laid out by the state and local governments, but we have mass. We have the Holy communion every week. And, and we gather together. And, um, and I have to tell you, I won't draw on it too long. Um, they've been very be beautiful services. Because what I've found that even though the liturgy might not be as fancy and the space might, might not be as nice, um, we just need that, that contact. I, I think especially right now with one another, but that contact we have with Jesus and the sacraments, um, there's no substitute for it. And, and so we, we need that. It's a need of the world. And so we continue. And, and I guarantee you there's more people out there doing that than we know. 
I, I agree with you. I know we, we uh, know without giving names and a couple ministers that are privately distributing communion, um, even though in their particular uh, organizational structure, I don't even want to allude to what, it's a good what denomination they're not. They're, they're, yeah, they, 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 they've been told not to, um, but they're, they're just privately distributing it. And, and for people like myself, it's been a huge uh I mean, it's felt it's helped getting weekly communion has helped my wife and I feel feel connected to the larger body of Christ. Um, what do you think, John? Like you visited uh, Father Sean's and it, the Easter service had quite an impact on you just be, just because it was one of the only ones we knew that was going on. Yeah, <laughs> I, I talked about this a little bit last week where um, you could really you could feel that there was something going on there. Like it seemed like. God had blessed our gathering. And um, I'm glad you, you bring up Holy Communion because I think that's sort of, for a lot of Christians, that's sort of the biggest tragedy here is that communion's an essential part of Christian life, right? Do this in remembrance of me. It's a command, right? It's, um, we would call it an ordinance, right? These are, it's one of the two sacraments that we are ordered to uh, partake of, right? Um and so, so to be there under such um, awful circumstances, right? You know, we had family parties that were canceled, right? We had other friends that didn't want to have us over their house. But Father Sean welcomed my wife and I and our young son in, and it was it was really incredible. And and I think I also mentioned this last week, where afterwards it wasn't like a normal coffee hour where you just exchange small talk. Everyone was in an you know incredible mood. And it felt like kind of like a, a festivity, a celebration. It was really wonderful. Yeah. So hopefully, um, to those of you listening, hopefully you can find a, a church by you that um, has gone underground, right? In this case, quite literally, because it's in a basement, right? So. Um. In, the, in the past, the traditions, you know, the philosopher Vogelin, who played a big role in my life in, in, in with regard to political philosophy, he talked so much about the the, um, the importance of traditions in, in humans. And I've talked to so many people, even non-Christians, that a, fa- a, a parent died, a spouse died, they were going through a struggle. And going to Easter mass or e- Sunday, Christmas Eve services or whatever, ended up being real pivotal roles in their life because it was this tradition that their parents had passed down to them and it connected to them to the greater tradition of the church. And, and in that time of crisis, those traditions of, of worshiping God together corporately played a huge role in, 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 their, in their psyche, in their spirit. And I think that's where my heart goes out to so many people right now, because a lot of people are scared. A lot of people are stressed out. A lot of people are depressed. You see these articles all over the place. People are lonely because they're stuck in their homes and and they don't really know of any churches that are open. I hate that word open because you can't close the church, um, but we're just not even, I mean, I, I scour the internet and it's really difficult to find anything nationwide. And I agree with Father Sean, there's definitely more out there, but for some reason, um, this is the great secret <laughs> is, is where is the church? And maybe that is actually what happens in a time of crisis is 
is the church is still there. Like Paul says, there's always an elect. Um, and they go underground, I guess. Um, this is really one where my heart is too, because I have so many brothers and sisters who are Baptists and Lutherans. Could this crisis be an opportunity to build greater unity within the body of Christ um, beyond the denominational barriers that have separated us? What do you guys think? Well, I, I certainly pray that it is. I mean, anytime, I mean, even just as humans, we're faced with a crisis where we come together and we bond and we work for a greater good. Um, I would like to see this um, break down some of those barriers. Um, but I think the difficulty, like you just said, is because we are underground, uh, as it were, uh, it, we're not broadcasting these things on the internet. It's hard to find out who's open, as it were, or who's not, and how we can come together. Yeah, no, that's, I was thinking the same thing that it's probably, I, I think in maybe in the long run, it'll create more unity. It's going to take a while though. Like we have to be able to congregate again. And um, the one thing I was thinking that um, maybe the, the best outcome is in, in as far as unity would be that it's, I think for me, it's going to be a lot more difficult for particular denominations to say we are the one true denomination and all the other ones are lesser or anathema, right? Because maybe this is a God sort of sign to us that no, all the whole church has problems and they need to work it out because really no denomination has been exempt from this, right? They've all closed their doors and I think at some point, hopefully, all the denominations will come to their senses and be like, geez, we really overreacted. And we weren't there for a lot of people, a lot of the laity, and they suffered for it. So that was, that, that was, that was one of my hopes. I guess I should call it a hope, right? Because who knows what's going to happen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk a narrow line in response to what you're saying there. I don't, I don't want to overstep and, and be too critical, but... It is very interesting that there isn't one particular denomination of that as a whole took a different route during this crisis. And had that occurred, you know, maybe I'd be going to the some bizarre denomination I've never heard of that adheres to the Apostolic Creed. But it was it was across the denominations. And I really like what you said, John, perhaps, you know, I'm not, I'm not a prophet. I'm not supposing I know what God is saying, but perhaps this is a lesson we could learn that in the time of crisis, yeah, no me, denomination was perfect. They're all, yeah, I did clarify kind of where you were going just me trying to like think through what things look like. I'm definitely not, I don't think the spirits upon <laughs> me to proclaim the, the unity of the church, uh, but this is a, <laughs> a personal hope I have because you and I, we, we honestly, we were both talking cause we're like, Oh, it looks like the, Greek Orthodox churches or the Russian Orthodox churches are going to stay open. Well, maybe, maybe there's something more to that. We should look deeper and more deeply into it. Nope. And then they all closed. Right. Um, so it's kind of like every, every church. I mean, it's showing that the, I think it's showing us that all these churches have faults. Right. And it's something we should have known. We should have all known. Right. Um, so hopefully that's just my hope that. Um... And, and, and to be clear, we're not faulting. I want to, I, I, I sound 
<laughs> I sound like I'm being overly cautious, but I really want to be clear with people. We're not faulting people if in your conscience you felt like you should stay home because we, we would encourage that. If that's what you feel the Holy Spirit leading you to, yes, you should stay home. If you feel like you're more adverse that the flu or sickness could harm you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but as Father Sean opened this, this episode with, the history of the church seems to be replete with examples that when the plague comes, many, many Christians and churches keep doing what they're doing. And we end up writing stories about them and they became, they become sort of the bedrock of the church through those times of crisis. Um, so uh, let me move on. I just looked at the time here. Um, even though uh, my daughter said, you know, your, your first episode is too short. She said, I'm used to listening to hour long episodes, but we're for the, for the, for the time being, we're keeping it on a, on a tighter leash to see where this goes. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to move ahead. Um, I, I was struck with, uh, with uh, the verse, uh, well, with, um, during the early church, one of the great crises they faced were that uh, some Christians uh, ended up saying, Hail Caesar, in order to not be thrown into the lion's den. And then after this time of persecution ended, uh, the church said, well, what do we do with the Christians that um, said, Hail Caesar? What do we do with the Christians that... Um, didn't die for the faith and the church said well you know people say you know what uh, we're sorry we repent just like peter peter denied christ three times there's forgiveness um and i i'm not saying the churches are are wrong for all quote-unquote closing but it seems like once we come out of this it would seem that there's going to be a lot of tension between churches and pastors and priests that continued having services and those that didn't. Now, maybe it's not anywhere near as severe as the time in the Roman persecution, but how do we circumvent that tension? Like, how can we prepare to bring peace? Because that, because right, blessed are the peacemakers. I don't want to be at tension with brothers and sisters in Christ who are, who are critical of me right now because we've been praying together and holding hands together in prayer. I, I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about it this week. Like, how am I going to move beyond this? And I mean, Father Sean, do you have well, any Well, as a priest, um, I've flat out told my people that have continued meeting that it is vital for us to remember uh, that we're not any better for meeting. And we can't be prideful. We right. can't be puffed up. Um, and I've made that Amen. crystal clear. John, you might have heard that. You did. Um, I remember you but, saying that, yes. Okay, good. Um, but it's so important to remember that. We're not any better. But like we've said over and over again, and I think rightfully so, our conscience is telling us that we need to be together. So we do that in a spirit of humility and gentleness and with all sorts of charity. Um, and so I think as a clergyman, I have a duty to present that to, to my flock. Um, and also, I mean, even if you want to just talk about church history and what you're talking about, the, the, some people didn't agree uh, with bringing repentant uh, and people who wouldn't die for the faith, um, you know, those people back into the church. And that, that created a horrible rift, which weakened the church. 
especially in Northern Africa. Now, we don't want to do that. We, we need to bring the church together now uh, more than ever. And so we have to, like Paul says, we do all things in love. And, and we're going to have to be um, charitable on both sides uh, when we come out of this. I'm just, uh, Sean, I'm just curious, uh, have you received any flack or any negative feedback for a meeting? Yeah, obviously not. Don't say who, but I, I was just curious if there's already I, a rift growing or if everyone's just sort of waiting to see what will happen. It's a, it's a good question. Uh, I haven't, um, I've received, you can, I, I've received some messages um, that maybe I should stop or uh, maybe just not have communion, which which for me is just not having communion is not an option. Sure. Um, and I've I've talked to people who you could tell in the conversation they kind of thought I might have been a little imprudent, or not me, but the the parish we were maybe being imprudent. Um, and I and I and I truthfully may have some members of my regular congregation that are upset with me. And I think that going forward, it's important for me to maintain contact with them and, and let them know that I've indeed heard them and, and in no way taking these things lightly or without prayer and not just, just not just me, but those who are gathered with me. This uh, last, before we close here, this last uh, thought, my mom called, I talked to my mother down in Florida late last night, and she mentioned to me Moses, and she said, you know, she said, Kenny, you know, Moses didn't get to go to the promised land, because there was that moment, (laughs) that one moment, one of the greatest men of God, Kenny, (laughs) but he was, he, 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 he demonstrated faithless, he was faithless in one singular moment, yet, all those other times, right? He's he's literally, arguably one of the five bedrocks of of this whole this whole thing. And it, what struck me as I left that, I thought, you know, a lot of the 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 the, the, the patriarchs or, or sort of leaders of the different denominations right now, a lot of them are quite a bit older. Um, I won't mention names, but just turn your radio on to. Christian evangelical radio or, you know, flip around. And there is, it doesn't, John, doesn't it seem like there's something that it's the young men <laughs> that are the warriors, the young men that when, when the enemy's at the gates, you generally send the, the 20, 30 year, and, and 30 year olds to fight, right, John? And, and the old men, they balance the young men out because if, if you let the 25 or 35 year old, mm-hmm you know, he might go, go fighting everybody and, you know, fighting, fighting windmills, you know, like, like, like the novel. Um, so the old men balance them out. But my mom was speculating and my mom's quite a bit older than me. She was speculating. She said, do you think maybe the old people have a little bit too much power in the churches right now? And that's too big of a question for us to even dissect. But what are your thoughts, John? Like, just do you think maybe the young men need to speak out a little bit more so we can balance out yeah, the reservations I, of the older people? Well, Is that yeah, what, I think maybe that's, maybe that's what, what we're I was doing. Thinking. In this I think that's that's our goal here. Um, is just um, for some reason God has compelled us to say, well, you have to say something because 
it seems like the whole church is all ran has all ran to one side, right? Of this, um, and it's like, well, wait, there's us here on the other side who's like, no, we should be meet. Like, we have to keep the church going. We have to meet. And if if you think about the rest of that story, that's an interesting point. It's it is the young men who go into the promise, right? That's it's right. I think jo- Joshua was like around my age. Who right. Ends up leading. I mean, Not that well, I don't want to lead anything. Yeah. Don't I mean, me. no, I, I don't <laughs> either, but I mean, that's the, the uh, faithful generation is the younger generation. Um, and so it, it seems very strange in a country like America, where we idolize youth to, to a fault, to a great fault. Yeah. We idolize youth, but now oh, it's yeah. kind of like, Oh no, well, you know, the, the older generation is in charge and we're, and it seems it's this really strange reversal. Um, so maybe you have a good point. Um, and maybe, you know, that should be the hope of the older generation is that the younger generation does better than them because I don't among Orthodox Christians of all denominations, I know very few of them who don't think who don't, I know very few that don't think that there's a lot of problems in the church and that oh, there's been a lot of heresies introduced to the church and all sorts of difficulties. Um, so that's, I guess, always the hope is that, yeah, the younger generation is going to wake up and say, oh, we have to start reforming the church and making changes, right? So, yeah, I mean, so hopefully, right? I mean, I yeah. guess a lot of the things I'm saying, I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to practice the virtue of hope here. Is like, it seems pretty bad to me, but I hope, I hope, I hope, right? Yeah. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> our, our hope is definitely Christ. Father Sean, thank you so much for being on our second episode. Um, we really appreciate you. You've been an encouragement to both of us in what you're well, doing. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, it's great to be here. Um, I'm very excited about this podcast and I'm really excited about the questions you're asking because they, they need to be asked. So thank you uh, for joining us, everyone. Um, if you found us on iTunes, that's awesome. We're on 30 different platforms. I'm not going to name them all. Uh, if, if you want to help us out, we're not asking for money. Just copy our link and send it to a friend or encourage them to find, uh, find us on